Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining us on Michigan Minds today. I am so thrilled to be talking with you and really looking forward to learning from your expertise. So can you start us off by introducing yourself and telling us about your role at the University of Michigan? My name is Sarah Clark and I am on the faculty here in the Department of Pediatrics in the School of Medicine. And in particular, I am a member of the Child Health Evaluation and Research Center, which we call CHEER. And so I've been here for about 25 years studying all sorts of topics. And can you tell me a little bit about the areas in which your research focuses? A lot of my research focuses on understanding people's experiences with the healthcare system, and that includes getting healthcare services and trying to maintain or improve health. And when we're talking about kids or even young adults, parents tend to play a pretty big role in health-related things. So my work includes both patients and parents. Since 2007, the C.S. Mott Children's Hospital National Poll on Children's Health, or the Mott Poll, has been polling a national sample of parents about a wide range of child health topics. And earlier this year, the Mott Poll explored parent views on addressing mental health concerns in adolescents. Could you talk a little bit about those findings? Sure. And I have been a, a co-director of the CS Mott Children's Hospital National Poll on Children's Health. And we have looked at a whole variety of children's health. And we define that very broadly, includes all sorts of things that can affect kids' well-being. And so what we did with the Mott Poll report in March was get information from parents of kids age 11 to 18. And we were really interested in their perceptions about how a mental health concern might get recognized and addressed. And when you think about it, there are a couple of different avenues that that can occur, right? Recognition or uh, and addressing a mental health concern can take place with the child's primary care provider. It can take place with and through the school. Peers might be involved or it can be kind of within the family with that adolescent and the parent. And really the upshot of what we heard in those findings was that most parents think that recognizing a mental health concern is likely going to happen within the family. But here's the issue, one of the issues. We asked parents to identify warning signs of a possible mental health concern and their awareness ranged from 49% to 65% for any individual sign. And there were one in six parents who didn't get any of the signs right. So I feel like right off the bat, we have a knowledge gap with some parents in what they might even need to be looking for in recognizing sort of those early warning signs that might signal something's off. We also heard from parents about what they feel like 
might make it hard for them to recognize a possible mental health issue uh, in their adolescent. And the biggest thing was trying to differentiate the normal ups and downs of anybody's life from what truly might be a possible mental health problem. Um, and I think this can be particularly hard for parents during adolescence when kids are naturally and appropriately trying to establish themselves as more independent beings. You know, they're growing up, they're maturing, and there are some bumps that go along with that process as you try to establish your own personality. And parents, I think very correctly identified uh, that as a challenge, trying to figure out what's just a bump and where do we have a problem? The other things they mentioned were um, that their child is pretty good at kind of hiding their feelings and saying, you know, nothing's wrong. Um, maybe that the child will talk more with friends about their problems than their parents or that maybe in the family, they just don't talk about feelings much. And it's, of course, important for adolescents to feel comfortable seeking help if they feel like they need it. However, as you were saying, you know, that report found that only a quarter of parents thought that their adolescent would definitely talk with a parent about a possible mental health issue. So with all of this in mind, how can parents create a safe and comfortable environment for their children to talk about their mental health concerns? So a big thing is to make it a habit to talk with your kids. And I know that sounds like, yeah, of course, but I think sometimes parents try to make it a little more one-sided where they ask their kid, what, how was your day? What happened today? How are you doing? You know, what homework do you have? And a, a strategy that parents might try is to turn that around. Parents talk about their own life, their own experiences, let your kids see that you have good days and bad days, that you deal with stress, that you get frustrated. And your goal there is to have kids view these conversations as usual things that we do in our day. We talk about, hey, what was good, what was bad? Um, and so that helps kids understand it's okay and expected to bring those types of conversations to the table. And as uh, that sharing uh, happens more and more, it'll be easier for parents to pick up on when something's wrong. And also it'll be easier for parents to kind of get to know how their kids uh, process things like frustration or um, difficulties with peers. Some kids need to vent. Uh, some kids take a little bit more time and are reluctant to talk. And so by keeping those conversation lines open, parents can start to get a sense on their particular child's way of approaching things. Second big thing for parents is to listen. And I know that sounds like another, like, well, of course, but a lot of parents aren't really good at listening when their child is ready to talk, because often it happens at inconvenient times, like when they're supposed to be going to bed or when we have something else to do. When you have adolescent, I think it's really important to listen when they're ready to talk, even if it's not the most convenient time for you. 
so important. And are there any other tips or resources that parents can offer their children that you want to highlight before we move on to the next question? It's really kind of interesting because there are so many different options out there. You know, there's a proliferation of things like apps and mindfulness things, um, as well as options on the web and even classes through different you know, community recreation programs and through the schools. So I think what is a great approach for parents is to um, look for things that they might be interested in themselves and kind of talk about it. Again, you're modeling for your kid. Hey, I saw this new mindfulness app. What do you think that is for? I wonder if I, I might try that and then talk about their experience. Again, what you're trying to do is demonstrate for your adolescent that this is just usual everyday mental health hygiene stuff that we should all be doing. Thank you. I want to ask about another recent Mott poll report that asked parents about their children's vision. And it found that only half of parents recognize that screen time has a major impact on their child's eye health. Can you expand on this study's findings and talk about why it's so important to understand the impact of screens on children's vision and eye health? Yeah. So screen time and what we would call up close time. So that also could include things like, you know, working closely on homework or even reading a book. Uh, so there's the up close time that has increased for a lot of kids that really seems to be associated with an increased risk of nearsightedness. Um, and I think that sometimes when we talk about screen time with parents. And you know, if you, uh, when you're a parent, you go to well child visits or checkups pretty regularly with their kid. And it's recommended that pediatricians give counseling to parents about limiting screen time, but they don't always explain why. Um, sometimes screen time is presented in terms of, we want kids to be doing other healthy activities. Uh, so they present screen time as a sort of a risk for overweight or obesity, uh, influencing sedentary behavior. Sometimes they present limiting screen time as a way to um, ward off problems with attention span or things like that. I think sometimes the pediatricians forget to talk about screen time as a risk factor for future vision problems. So I feel like the reason that we found in this study that parents underestimate the impact of screen time is because they aren't told about it very often. Are there strategies that parents can use to kind of reduce that potential damage or harm that screen time can cause? The biggest thing, which is really kind of uh, relatively new findings from the, the vision research world, is to not only limit that screen time and that up close time, but balance it out by spending time outdoors every day. It is being outdoors. Obviously, if you're in the bright sun, you want to wear sunglasses or a hat or something, but there's something about being outside and having the eyes benefit from that wide open space, from the distance 
viewing that they have that really ends up having a protective effect against developing nearsightedness. It's kind of an exciting uh, new area of research. And it's great when the solution is something that's really easy to do. I think this is also something that families can pretty easily schedule. So maybe we take a walk around the block before or after dinner, uh, just spend time, you know, kind of being outside, sitting on the steps, chatting, uh, playing basketball, whatever a family likes to do. But that's a pretty easy one that families should be able to work into their everyday. There are other strategies that people have suggested, like for example, wearing the blue light glasses. That might be helpful to reduce temporary eye strain, especially for kids that uh, mention that their eyes get tired or are bugging them. But really for the long-term protective effect, we really wanna go for that outside time. So as the podcast comes to a close, I like to ask each of our experts who graciously give us their time, for one takeaway, what is one thing that you hope everyone listening remembers from this conversation? I hope people remember that a lot of mental health concerns are things that can be helped by talking with a trusted family member or friend that a warning sign doesn't mean a diagnosis. And I think sometimes both parents and adolescents can get scared off when we talk about things like a warning sign or a mental health concern. And so I, I hope that terminology or language doesn't deter people from what is really listening to how people are doing with the struggles of everyday life and do the usual supporting people and helping them get through. And at the same time, knowing that for a lot of people, there are times in their life where they might need a little extra help or maybe expert help. And so to be, again, be open to supporting the day-to-day -day challenges that we all have. And at the same time, recognizing that occasionally there might be times where we need to step it up a bit and bring in some expert help. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Glad that you guys are interested in this topic and every little bit helps to just get people in the frame of mind of being really thoughtful and sharing as much. And parents, we have to do the best job we can to be good role models and good listeners. Thank you so much. We greatly appreciate the time that you've given us today and all of the insight and information that you've provided. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.